The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that because you've been tuning in for months, years, probably. You know what you're getting here. You're getting great content talking about the business of agriculture with agricultural professionals, forward-looking agriculturalists who can help you succeed in tomorrow's agriculture. Today is no exception. In fact, it's probably one of the better guests I've ever had, a person I think a lot of. Her name is Bobby Brockman. She's a member of my Business of Agriculture Success Group, the private networking group where we get together every uh, two weeks and uh, discuss, uh, you know, issues impacting agriculture, usually with industry professionals and guest speakers. If you are interested, by the way, in being a part of the Business of Ag Success Group, please drop me a line. Bobby Brockman is uh, the VP of Sales for Immucel. Immucel is in the animal health industry, focusing specifically on bovine and even within bovine, more so on dairy. She is going to talk to us about successfully selling in a changing agriculture, you know, nothing happens in business unless something is first sold. And so we're going to discuss the whole sales process, hiring sales people, what sales looks like now in the era of the Amazon effect, where people can buy online, where it's no longer just someone coming out with a clipboard and taking an order. All this stuff that happens out here, the millions and millions and billions of dollars of ag products that are sold. We're going to talk about all that goes into and behind that. Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, Bobby Brockman. Well, thank you. It's nice to have the opportunity. Well, I'm glad that you are here. So, uh, dear listener, um, we're going to take you through all of this. And before we get into Bobby and her wonderful discussion, I'm going to remind you that this episode of the Business of Agriculture, like many before it, is actually not just audio. Pick it up where you get iTunes and you know SoundCloud and Stitcher and all those places, but also you can go on the YouTube, the YouTube, and put my name, Damian Mason Channel. Type in Damian Mason Channel and hit subscribe. And because it's a video as well as an audio. All right, Bobby Brockman. Woman in agriculture, successful, leading about what? A dozen and a half salespeople for your company. Give me a little background. You're uh, an Iowa farm girl turned into corporate titan, right? <laughs> well, I like to, uh, I'd like to say I'm, say I'm still that Iowa farm girl, but um, yeah, Iowa farm girl with uh, roots really deep in 4-H and FFA. I think that's where all of my values were kind of formed. Um, livestock judge. I, I was a livestock judge at a junior college, Blackhawk East, and then transferred to Iowa State and judged there and uh, got my degree from Iowa State. And then I've been in the sales and marketing role since. So, um, and going on about 19 years, just about. Okay. I know you're always worried about, you know, reluctant to announce your age, but there are people out here that are going to realize that, you know what, with a lot of wisdom and experience sometimes means you have to put in some years. So you're about 40 years old thereabouts, and you've been in this industry for a good long while. You, you are a sales manager. Before we talk about the actual role and what that means, let's talk about your company. Uh, you've been a client of mine, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the people listening to this podcast uh, know what your company does. 
Yeah, kind of a niche. So, you're kind of a niche. I mean, you're not you're not Pfizer. You're not uh, you're not Elanco. You're out here in a little bit of a niche category. Spot on, and and we're very unique. So um, I always explain us as the David amongst pharmaceutical Goliaths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we are small, very small compared to um, our competition. There's approximately nine of us that cover the sales and marketing responsibilities across the whole U.S. and Canada. Um, Now, what is really cool about what we do is that we have really novel products. So we are the only one bringing preformed polyclonal antibodies to preformed polypropylene. That's plastic. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Polyclonal. You know how that just rolls off your tongue really fast when you're in sales. But um, really, it, it takes the variability out of a vaccine response because you've already developed a guaranteed dose of antibody to the animal. And so the products that we have focus on preventing scours and newborn calves. So we um, protect them against E. coli, corona, and rotavirus. Okay, a few things there because we we want to talk more about the business, but just so the average listener, because we got somebody that's in a cranberry business in Massachusetts, we got somebody that's in the cotton business in the Southwest. We got a lot of different things here. You said a few things there. Uh, let's talk about the mode of action, but more importantly, the reason we give this to the calves. The thing you said after that, scours. Now you think of it, dear listener, maybe as a scouring pad, but those of us that have a background livestock like me, scours means baby shit. Scours means nasty diarrhea. Scours means that your calves are going to get dehydrated. Continue, Bobby, from a more scientific uh, standpoint. Yeah, you think you uh, have a bad day. I talk shit all day, right? So, um, <laughs> scours, scours means that these poor calves, generally newborn calves, they get they're susceptible to a whole bunch of nasty stuff. Continue. Correct. Yep, and very chronic problem, um, particularly when it's caused by virals. And we've been the first to really make a dent on preventing rotavirus with our TriShield product. So it's been fun. So so we focus on that with the newborn calves, but then we also have a new product coming onto the market. We're hoping to get FDA approval by first quarter, 2022. And this will be an intramammary treatment for subclinical mastitis without a milk discard. Well, right. So we that'll be a first you're of its still, You're still well. doing that thing or you get a little too scientific for the for our wonderful listener. So the reason we treat these calves is they come into the environment out of the cow's uterus and there's a whole bunch of nasty stuff. And if you don't treat it, you got dehydration. You can even have death loss because these calves get these viruses. Is that what we're talking about, right? For sure. Yeah. They were they were just nine months in a sterile hot tub and now they're in the cruel real world. And the first thing they do is a wobbly nosedive into a pile of manure. Yeah. And that's how they get infected with these pathogens. And there so you know, and then again, you got growth issues, you got dehydration, you've got then, you know, if, if these, these, these calves are pretty, uh, you know, pretty susceptible to a lot of stuff, and then you can even have death loss. So you treat them. And the thing is, you're treating them with something that's a little different than usual, because the, the, the listeners saying, Oh, God, it's just like those animal activists said, you're shooting these, these calves full of all these nasty chemicals there on those factory farms, your product is actually what? So it's an antibody and it's derived from colostrum. So colostrum is like mother nature's miracle drug, right? Um, It's got a lot of good stuff in there. What we do is we pull out the components specific to the most common pathogens. The first bad guys through the door at at knocking on that calf's GI tract and that 
would be a concentrated dose of the E. coli, the coronas, and the rotavirus antibodies. Some people that don't know what colostrum is, those are the first uh, two to three days, first three days of a mother's milk that's got all those rich antibodies in it. So that's what she's talking about. They're taking stuff like they're amping it up, ramping it up a little bit, and then giving it to the calf in a oral? Yep. In an oral in an oral application. Okay, so now we've covered that. And it keeps the calf healthy, keeps from getting scours that we've already described what that is. And so this is your product. It's particularly you guys concentrate in dairy, but you also do have a presence in beef. Yeah, I mean, the product is completely uh, applicable to either dairy or beef calves, right? Now, strategically, because we're a small sales team, we've made the decision to really bias a lot of our face-to-face sales effort within the dairy industry because of the new product coming on the market here soon. So, and, and the new product would really only have application in the dairy industry. So your product, when I say where your product goes, because then we just talked about this new thing that you said is something to treat mastitis so that the listener understands this is a bigger problem, uh, certainly in dairy operations than it is in beef operations. We're getting a hell of a lot more milk out of these dairy cows than you would have a beef cow. There's various other reasons and all that. So this new product to treat mastitis, what would you say was different about it? Because it's not it's not an antibiotic. It's not steroidal. It is. Yep. It's a bacteria sin, which is kind of a it's a whole new class of anti-infective but it will be applied the same as traditional antibiotics, which would be intramammary. The big difference is it does not require a milk discard. So right now, if you're treating mastitis, you're discarding milk during the duration of the treatment and then for days after. Um, And this substance that has really good uh, bacterial killing ability, so it can kill the mastitis pathogens, it does not impact the milk supply. So, so you don't have that cost associated. So to our dear listeners, I do have suburban listeners because they know that I can give them the straight scoop on agriculture. That stuff you've been told that you're drinking milk that's all full of antibiotics, that's not actually true because you, uh, the, the dairy operator, if they are detected, they will be kicked out, maybe kicked out of their processing cooperative, but also they are to discard the milk during treatment. This product that you're talking about, since it's not antibiotic and it's not uh, got a, a harmful effect to humans, you don't have to do the milk discard while you're treating the cow. Right. Exactly. Yep. So you got a couple of main products that you sell. Presumably there's maybe some other little peripheral stuff, but this is a very unique thing because if I'm with one of the big animal health companies, I just, I think I just go and call on uh, distributors of, uh, of veterinarian products. And, um, and that's probably how I sell stuff. How do you guys go about selling? Who do you call on? What's that look like? Tell me what sales looks like for your people. By the way, yeah. I said nine, I said 17. I guess I was talking about support and everything. You've got nine people that are in the field and then you've got your support backup, et cetera, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. So so our field team is small, which means we have to be super efficient. Um, we focus, though, at the farm level because if we're not going to sell it, nobody's going to sell it for us. Um, so 95% of their time is spent um, in boots in the barn, right? And, and really understanding customers' um, setups and and protocols and seeing if there is a fit for the product. Now we create that demand, um, but we don't actually uh, conduct the transaction. So we don't sell anything direct because we're a small company. We don't have the infrastructure to manage those receivables and all that kind of thing. So we work through animal health distribution to get that done. And uh, we've got a fantastic distribution network. They would basically get product from point A to point B 
for us, as well as uh, handle the transaction. Yeah. So your your people that are out there are salespeople, but they can't even take an order, which seems probably counter to what the average person. You know, the average person thinks about sales. It's a used car guy. You know, Kurt Russell in in the movie Used Cars, and he's out there just huckstering the hell out of people on his uh, gaudy uh, jacket. Your people don't even take orders. They can't be hard selling because what you know, hard sell some big dairy operator. And they're going to say, okay, finally I'll buy. It's like, well, that's cool, but I can't sell it to you because you have to order it through this place. Is that kind of a disconnect? You know, it's not ideal. Um, I know one of my mentors in the seed corn industry had told me once that uh, a lead, like 30% of leads will be lost by the time it gets to the dealership. And so we really kind of drill that into the team. And so if you get a customer that's ready to buy, you're basically saying, okay, who do you buy from? Which distributor? Uh, Then you already know who that distributor rep is. And you're basically calling that order into the distributor rep for the producer. So you actually actually could take an order because you can say, all right, you're ready to use, uh, you want to, you want to go ahead and commit to a three month supply. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. Or you're, you're, you're ready to try a, a case, you know, 12 boxes or so, we can get them coming on the next truck out here from XYZ distributor. XYZ distributor. Yep. I'll, I'll call Jane Smith and have her place the order for you. All right. So uh, I know sales. I've been in sales. I still technically probably am selling because I've been selling the services of my own business for 27 years. You know, sales, your salespeople. Tell me about their day because you said there are a lot of boots on the ground and then they do call in in order to a distributor. What's their day look like? Well, it's a little different based on territory, but we all have big territories. I mean, we're talking like anywhere from two to five states, mm-hmm. right? So we um, use market research to be real, real specific and where we spend our time and try to be as efficient as possible. Um, but I also focus on frequency. You know, you can't be you can be busy, but you're not necessarily going to be effective if you're not really focusing with frequency on your high priority accounts. So you you got to sell them in five visits, five to eight visits or less, or you got to move on um, because there's there's lower hanging fruit on the tree because we do have so much opportunity there. So the team spends a lot of time um, really strategizing their prospect list and uh, overcoming the objections and, and hopefully selling them within that five to eight call. All right, so uh, your salespeople... If I'm if I'm supposed to be in charge of uh, you know three states whatever and there's you know dairies are getting bigger and fewer so uh, you know that's the way consolidation works and technology has done that um, do I get a lead does somebody at MUSL say hey you know what Damien you should go out to this place because they're using the competition's product and they would be a right pick or do I just show up hop out of my my uh, my you know my my sales truck and say hey I'm here because it seems to me that that is not happening anymore. These cold calls stopping in, like when I was a kid on the dairy farm, you know, seed feed, all these people just pulled in and expected you to make time for them. Guy that rents my land, Bobby, milks 2000 cows. He's got 26 employees. You just pull in there, you're gonna be in the way. There's a lot of moving parts. Tell me how the setup works for your people. Yeah, so it is different. I think I agree. Uh, Even back when I first started selling, cold calling was um, much more common. We try to focus 80% or more of our stops are prearranged, you know, so we've got a meeting with, with the decision makers. 
or we're doing a, a walkthrough, a hutch walkthrough, maternity pin assessment, something is on the books. Um, but there's still 20% of our time that, man, you know, they haven't returned my call. They're kind of ghosting me. I'm driving right by. Let's swing in and see if I can catch somebody. So that still can be productive. But the more we get pre-planned pre meetings, mm -hmm. the better the better the day is, the more efficient. All right. So your people are out there. You know, you said hutch walkthrough. For those non-dairy people, that means what's a hutch uh, well, walkthrough? Yeah, so, so you would have rows and rows of these beautiful, cute calves and hutches, and you'd walk the hutches and assess health and, and productivity of those calves. So. Hutch for the non-dairy person means tiny house. It's a calf tiny house. Okay. Um, all right. So where these calves are in their tiny houses, your salesperson goes out there. And again, this is, this is where a lot of folks get sales wrong. They think it's about, you know, huckstering and, and bamboozling people with bullshit to try and take their money. You're out there looking at calf health. Your people, what are they trained in? I mean, they're not veterinarians, but they know about calf health. Is that part of your job to train them to do that? Yeah. I mean, they are very specifically focused on calves, maternity pen, which is where the calf is born. So that's the first um, opportunity for that calf to get infected. Right. So we're, we're very well trained on maternity pen day one protocols. So colostrum collection, management, feeding, and then for those first two to three weeks, that's really where our specialty lies. Um, so, you know, we can, we can walk those tiny little houses and maybe identify something that someone who's at a higher level would miss. So, so our focus is to not go there and talk product. It's to understand the operation because it's, it, why waste your time trying to sell them something that they don't need? You know, so if well, there's not a fit, don't sell it. Well, the point is you, you would say that every calf should be treated with this when it comes out so that it's preventative, right? Potentially. It depends on the business model. I mean, if they're, if the dairy is selling bull calves right off the farm day one, and that's not a moneymaker for them, then you might argue that this investment would be better placed in just the heifer calves that are going to be used as replacements back into the herd. By the way, for the non-dairy non and, and non-livestock person, that means boy calf and girl calf. I always have to remember that we have non-ag people listening to this. All right, let's talk about the business part of it. Um, you know, it's changed. Like I said, when I was a kid, there was people pulling the driveway and we were 50, 60 cow dairy, you know, like every place and, and it'd be somebody pulling the driveway every day trying to sell you something and they didn't announce and they didn't call. And when the people did call you, we didn't have a farm office. You know, we weren't big and didn't have a farm office. They called you at lunchtime. That's the thing. They always figure these farmers are sitting around eating lunch at lunchtime. And then uh, that's the only thing that they ever call. What's it look like now from the business standpoint? You hire these people and you say your job is to go out and walk around in a calf pen uh, and do this. And you say, and also you might be competing with a company that's already really entrenched. You might be competing with the internet. What's it look like for these people that you're hiring, man? What do you tell them? Yeah, so um, I would say the most important thing is the big operations, uh, that the change to bigger operations means less gut feel if the product worked or not. Um, typically, they've got some testing protocols on farm to really prove and measure if the product works. And so we like that. We like that kind of a setup better than if somebody's just going to throw it in and have a gut feel if it worked or not. Um, so better on-farm matrix, lots more decision makers, the bigger the farm gets. 
So you'd have um, calf manager, finance guy, owner, potentially herdsman in those discussions, right? So you're you're needing to wrangle a lot more schedules than just um, you know one decision maker. And then oftentimes they've got consultative folks that they want to get a, an opinion from. So they're veterinarian or nutritionist, something along those lines. So there's just a lot, lot more people that you've got to bring, bring in the loop. Yeah. So you train your people on calf health and then you train them about the business. Cause I, I give you an example. I, my sales job, first one out of college, we spent six weeks learning about in the lighting business, learn about the lighting, learn about lighting. They didn't learn about anything about sales. They didn't say, here's how you go about selling. They didn't even tell us really the structure of the business. They didn't say, well, you are not really going to take an order because that goes through, just like you, goes through distribution or goes through retailers. And tell us any of that. They said, okay, now you know about these, uh, you know about the rendering of color rendering index, which by the way, the first three days on the job training, all they did was talk about different color rendering index based on the lighting fixture and the lamp, which is the light bulb. And after the second day, I thought, I wonder if I should tell these people I'm colorblind. I don't see one goddamn bit of difference between that one, that one, and that one. But you know what? Jobs are really hard to get in 1992. So I said, oh, yeah. Wait, do you see the difference? I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Yes, the, the lumen cool whites out of the fluorescent fixture is so different. Anyway, so they didn't tell us really that much about the marketplace. And I think that we make that mistake when we send salespeople out. You know, you grab some young kid, say it's fresh out of college, and you say, you know, I'm Bobby Brockman. I've been in this you know, sales for 20 years, been working with this calf industry forever and ever. You're going to be in calf pens, and uh, here's, what a calf, here's what a healthy calf looks like, and here's what a not healthy calf looks like. Our competition is XYZ company. Uh, go get them. I'm not sure they would still understand all the stuff that we've discussed. So do you train them about what the marketplace looks like, about what the actual structure is? Like you said, this Dairy operation has 2,000 cows, 5,000 cows. There's a herdsman, uh, a, a purchasing person, usually there's a business manager purchasing person that makes all these decisions. They buy feed and seed and, you know, animal health products and everything else. You know, there's five, do you train them on all that? Yeah, but it's different per, per territory, right? Because dairying in New York and Pennsylvania is considerably different than dairying in Idaho and Our California. California, right? So what we try to do is kind of some classroom training, but I was never a great classroom absorber. <laughs> so I give them the opportunity of hands-on learning with some of the best on our team, you know? So, so they spend a week with um, some from our team in different territories that would be more similar to what you see in, in their territory. And that's really where they learn not only um, the business, but also how different salespeople can use different techniques to uh, to be successful, so they can develop their own skill set of techniques. You know. Yeah, and then you talked when we were preparing about the product line. So again, you've got salespeople trying to learn the marketplace, trying to learn all that stuff, and then also the support. Um, I worked for a company that they had a marketing department that was supposed to be supportive of sales, and right before I started my job there was this thing where the marketing department came up with the teddy bear promotion to sell lighting fixtures to electrical contractors. They incentivized it with, for every gross of lighting fixtures you bought, you got a teddy bear. And these are people that smoke Marlboro Reds, drive pickup trucks, eat donuts for breakfast. Men, 
and they're incentivizing lighting fixture sales with teddy bears. And I thought, how big of a disconnect could there be between these idiots in marketing and what's happening out here in the street? Tell me about the support you get or give to your people out there in those maternity pens uh, and the, on the cattle facilities. Yeah, so I can get pretty passionate about this. Um, first of all, everybody who's out in the field for us, their title is sales and marketing manager uh-huh. because they're the subject matter experts. They're, they're closest to it. They're seeing it every day. So they come up with the best marketing content and they are the first to know what is the new interest of their the customer, right? So I, uh, my early career, I started in marketing. My first job was in marketing and I was so excited to develop all of these marketing strategies to grow sales and to lead sales. And they said, hey, could you just order some pens and set up a trade show booth for us? <laughs> and I was kind of crushed, right? Um, but it took a couple years to really immerse myself with the sales team of that organization. And then I was really feeding off of their ideas and their concepts and just executing on marketing content and strategies that um, they were too busy to see they needed, but they were the spark that lit those up. So, so I really firmly believe that sales and marketing need to be in the same silo because if they're not, you're wasting a ton of money. And I've seen it happen where marketing sends out a whole box of flyers and they sit in the salesperson's garage and never get used because the salesperson doesn't need them or doesn't like them. Yeah, that's exactly right. When you're in sales, then these companies would would it would be a UPS truck dropping shit off at your place three times a week that you were supposed to use as support. And it's like if I hand out this this six inch thick catalog to these contractors, they're going to say I don't. It's too heavy. It's gonna, what am I supposed to do with this thing? You know, it's that thing of they think they're being helpful, but they've ever. And I think to be in marketing, you should have sold something in your life. And I remember marketing people that couldn't sell Band-Aids at a train wreck, and they're in the marketing department. Um, so you and I can talk about that for a bit. Yeah. Well, I, I have another interesting story because early on in my career in marketing, um, Mad Cow hit. So BSE hit. The company's markets, international markets, were very affected, um, and they made some pretty deep personnel cuts, right? So my entire marketing team that I had grown to a team of six or seven Um, was let go. And I was the only one from that team that was asked to stay on. And we're so happy to offer you a sales role. Well, I was pretty pissed at the time because I really wanted to keep doing what we were doing. Um, But that was the best thing that could have happened to me because then, you know, at, at the time I thought I was God's gift to marketing. You move into a sales role and you can really see some of the things that you were doing that missed the mark. And so, um, Again, that's what makes me really passionate about having sales and marketing in the same silo and making sure the content and the strategy spark kind of comes from those subject matter experts, but the execution and the forward-looking strategy can kind of come from from marketing. Farms are getting farms are getting bigger more consolidated, fewer of them. It's pretty much the story. Yeah, there's the little, you know, especially now after COVID, the the man and woman that wanted to move out of New York City and have an acre and a half uh, organic arugula patch. That's cool. That's neat. But let's face it, that's not probably going to take a big chunk of what is production agriculture. Bigger farms, fewer of them, fewer customers, same number of companies chasing those customers. Brother, the dairyman who's no longer with us was 130 cow dairy uh, still 10 years ago. And he said, man, even at my scale, 
It says, I think that the, the, each one of these cows should look like a NASCAR. The, that cow should say, that's cow number 159, but actually that's the Immucel cow because everything that she grosses, I just pay to them. This cow right here, that's the feed bill cow. You've got a whole bunch of people still chasing the business and there's fewer customers with the same amount of cows there used to be. Tell me what that looks like for you. Yeah, I think it's going to change in the next five to seven years. Um, so we're, like I say, we're a small company. So I feel we've got a sweet spot. We've got a cumulative mass that of, of a team that is big enough to get something done, but isn't such a resource drain that, um, you know, that, that you're just trying to make sales to continue to make payroll um, or hire or do that kind of thing. So I feel like... Um, there's an opportunity to refine uh, the number of salespeople that you have involved. And um, I think it's important to look at who's bringing the organic growth, you know, who's really bringing growth and not just sales dollars because you did an annual price increase, you know, who's, who's bringing the new business and who's bringing you information on prospects and really moving those forward. And sometimes I think we just put it on autopilot and wait till the end of the year and then make excuses for those that, that didn't grow or didn't grow enough. So you said things are going to change a lot in the next five to seven years. Of course, you could have said that five to seven years ago and you'd have been right. You could have said five to seven years prior to that, you'd have been right. What changes are you talking about five to seven years from now? Yeah. I think you're going to see fewer salespeople. Um, and I think that's everywhere, Bobby. I think that's for seed feed, animal health, um, probably, probably, staple guns. I mean, I, I just think it's probably everything. Is that the Amazon effect? Is it because of consolidation of customer base? Is it because that they don't need the expertise, all of the above? I think it's a combination. I mean, a lot of these big operations certainly have their own in-house expertise. So um, sometimes they can be a bit reluctant for any added value because they think they've got it all in-house, right? Um, so I think that's a, that's a component. Um, I also think there's a lot of bad salespeople out there. And, and we just need to get rid of them. And there's time to do that when, when the industry consolidates. Uh, that's, that's a funny statement. So um, these bigger customers, and it's not just agriculture, it's everything, but we see in agriculture, if you farm 5,000 acres or more, not even, but let's just say you do, uh, you milk a bunch of cows, a lot of these companies are willing to come and, and kiss your butt. Uh, they want your business. They want your business and they're willing to give it away. Do you see that? It's like, Hey, you know what? And those, those, then those big, huge customers wield a pretty heavy hammer, right? Yeah. You know what we see um, because there's not, because pharmaceutical companies tend to be putting a lot of their innovation dollars toward companion animal because mm -hmm. the companion animal market will pay more and is growing. We don't see a lot of new innovation coming in the livestock sector in general. Um, and what's really interesting is big pharmaceutical company A is selling basically the same product as big pharmaceutical company B. Um, and at, oftentimes they might be the exact same product with different labels because they're being manufactured at the same pool manufacturer or something like that. So how do you differentiate yourself and your, if you're in that world while well, you do it with marketing rebates or, or marketing gimmicks of that sort? So if you buy X dollars worth from my product line, we'll give you this much back. 
We don't play in that game because we don't have to. Um, but I remember sitting at World Dairy Expo with a couple of guys from Big Pharma and we were sharing a beer and I said, oh, you guys got it so great because you've got these huge budgets and all these people to help you get stuff done. And they said, no, you've got a great, you're talking product. We haven't talked product for years. We're talking marketing gimmicks and bundling programs. And, and so I think that's unfortunate. And if that's all you're talking about, um, it doesn't take a super skilled person to do that. And then what happens is you run out of skilled people who really understand the customer's business. And then you do get into that Amazon effect, I think. Okay, so that's my last few questions. So online purchasing. Um, is it going to, you know, you said we're going to get rid of some, some of the bad salespeople. Does a lot of it move online? Because I do think there's still probably a need for some level of hands-on, but some of the customers, they've got probably as much experience. You know, the guy that, the guy that I'm talking about that rents my ground, he's got a, a fellow that's a herdsman that's had his, he's sleeved more cows than the veterinarian we used to use just because of a matter of scale. Um, do we get rid of most of the salespeople just because of lack of, need for their expertise? Kind of. I mean, if a salesperson is only as good as, hey, let me introduce you to my tech service guy mm -hmm. so he can tell you technically all there is to know about my product, that sales rep is going to be gone. That salesperson um, sales is nothing more than a take you out for drinks kind of a salesperson. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. The, their their biggest talent is to pick up the barbell. Um, and by the way, if you're, but, not watching, if you're not watching this, dear listener, you're not a viewer, well, Bobby's thing right there, she had a similar, my wife, they're, they're almost like they've got some similar gestures where Lori likes to do this thing. She likes to do that when she's, it's almost like swiping. She doesn't do swiping. We don't do Tinder, but Bobby just made that motion. If you can, all you can do is take people for drinks and say, let me call you my technical service person. She sweat, she swiped left. Um, <laughs> I took two sales courses at Purdue three decades ago when they didn't even think you should do such things. Sales was almost maligned. It's dirty. By God, we're a university. We, we, we work in, we work in intellectual uh, stimulation. And then I said to you in a question I sent you, do you think that these people need sales training? Because a lot of people that are in sales have never had a class, never been in a sales seminar. I worked with a seed company and for a day on sales, telling them what sales was and how to do it. And none of them had ever had a sales class. You've got some thoughts about this sales training and then what really matters. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying sales training is bad, but uh, I think the characteristics that are critical before you invest anything in sales training are initiative. Um, and I test this with all of my new hires. So I always say, uh, here's a list of the team and their contact information. Go ahead and call them and ask them what it's like to work for me and what it's like selling our products. And it's amazing how few of them take the initiative to do that. And I really don't care what they're learning. I just wanna, it's just kind of a test to see if they're gonna do it or not. So initiative is important. Um, tenacity, you know, are you going to find a way or are you just going to wait for things to fall in your lap? You know, I think, um, creativity and, and tenacity is important. And then, um, magnetism, you know, are people just naturally kind of drawn to you? Um, or do you have to beat them over the head to get them to, to call you back? Um, and then curiosity, like curiosity is so important because, and, and that's what I love about 
you know, our big territories are a bit of a struggle for a field salesperson because yeah. that's a lot of, lot of ground to cover. Yeah. But what's so cool is you get to see so many different operations. And for the curious salesperson, that that charges your battery, you know? Uh, I, I like it, by the way. Uh, I think someone told me they really like my style of um, doing something like the Business of Ag Success Group or this. But they said, you actually are listening and asking a question. Uh, as opposed to reading a script. And I said, well, I am curious about what their daily looks like. I'm curious what their what their job looks like. But also, I always figure I'm learning stuff about the business of ag that makes me stronger so that when I get hired to the next thing, so half of it, you should be curious out of self-interest. And that's what's interesting to me about the five things I wrote down, initiative, tenacity, creativity, magnetism, and curiosity. Hey, dumbass, you should be curious because when you get cut loose, when Bobby says, you know what, you're not really pulling your weight. If you had been curious, which means paying attention and actually listening, the next job you go to, you can build upon all that you learned by actually listening. So I'd say curiosity is right up there with, I always say, ask questions, learn and listen, you know, uh, from everything you do. What do employees or prospective employees, you know, I spoke to your people virtually. And then we got together about the next week to cover a few things. And you told me you cut somebody loose. Why'd you cut that person loose? Yeah. Well, multiple reasons. That's always a super hard to Perform decision. Performance obviously is always one reason or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they always say take a while to find the right candidate. And then when you make a decision and you've hired the wrong candidate, cut them loose quick. And I'm a big believer in that, especially with a small team, because we can't, we don't have um, anybody to hide behind. And if somebody's not pulling their weight, it, it's a resource drain for me. That means I have to spend more time with them. So, so yeah, I'm a big believer in, in cutting them early if there are multiple factors that aren't going to work. And in this case, it was, I will train them how to be a calf person. You know, I, I can train them on the science behind the product. I even feel like I'm pretty good at training them on how to sell. Um, but, you know, basic computer skills, and that's on me. That's something that I guess I thought we were beyond having to interview for, but that was an eye opener. And then um, the other lesson I learned with that hire was I did all of the interviewing over Zoom because that was right during COVID and getting them into a social setting. I was like, dang, I can't teach social social skills on top of all of this other stuff. So, so that was really what, uh, what limited their experience with us. Uh, talking to Bobby Brockman, she's a VP of sales for MUCEL, uh, the David among Goliaths when it comes to animal health with an interesting niche. And obviously she's very knowledgeable and does a great job. And she also is very honest. And I should tell you, dear listener, that she worried about preparing for this and forced me to give her sort of an outline of topics we'd cover. And as you can well hear and see, she's an amazing talker. She needs to be more, more, more confident in her, uh, in her, not only her knowledge, her wisdom, her experience, but also her ability to present it succinctly because a lot of people don't. She's not said the word uh or um. She has not said, you know, you know, you know, which means she's not really very nervous when you ask her about the stuff that she knows. She merely wants to be overprepared. It goes back to that thing about, I don't know, 4-H and FFA uh, speech presentation uh, training or something. So her name's Bobby Brockman. If you want to look her up and I'm going to ask the last question, if you want to look her up, they want to find you because they say, hey, I'd like to sell animal health products or hey, I'd like to um, learn more about her products and put them to use there at Immucel because I'm not sure that I like what we're doing for scours treatment on our cattle facility. How do they find you? Yeah, so you can go to firstdefensecalfhealth.com 
That first is our defense, first defense calf health. Yep. First defense calf health.com. Okay. And then, then, and that's the, the product right there. Yeah. Last thing I said in my book, do business better that there's critical traits to success and salesmanship, in my opinion, is one of them. I know there's brilliant people who are successful that couldn't sell ice cubes, you know, in hell. But the point is, I think you can have great ideas, great product, but you've got to also understand that it's got to get sold or you don't make any money. What's another thing that you think is a critical trait for success, whether you run your own business or whether you work for Bobby Brockman for this company? Yeah. So we talked about curiosity, but I would say second to that would be adaptability. Yeah, because you've got to adapt to your customer. And I got a great story early on in my career. There was an old guy um, at a feed company. And he said, you know, the sales department isn't the whole company, but the whole company better damn well be in sales. And that just kind of stuck with me because I think when I entered the sales um, arena, it still had that stigma of really, you're just being a salesperson. Couldn't you do something more intellectual? Um, but it's been a great career for me and I've just loved it. And I think I credit him for that because if you're good at selling, you will be good at whatever you do. Yeah. And I also agree with you about adaptability. Uh, if you're going to, like for me, I haven't had a real job for 27 years. For you, you've been from uh, a marketing position. You've been in seed. Now you're in animal health. You're in charge of, uh, you're in charge of a, a a group that covers all the country, but there's only, you know, dozen, whatever, there are nine or 15 of whatever total, but even with back house and support, you're going to have to adapt to a lot of different changes. I agree. All right. Her name's Bobby Brockman. Anything else, my dear? No, thanks. Appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for coming on, even though you were so reluctant to do so. The listeners are saying, I'm sure glad Mason got her on here because for God's sake, she's got some really good insights and you do. All right. So uh, that's Bobby Brockman. We're talking about sales, talking about business, talking about ag sales and and also how to uh, how to look forward about uh, being successful. And you know what? She's she's no she's no BS or she told you that about half the salespeople in the business of ag. Give it another decade may not be here. Uh, that's a little dire, I think, isn't it? Scary. Makes you, makes you be better. Makes you want to be better. There you go. I think you're right. So uh, you better sharpen your saw a little bit if you want to stay in this racket. All right. So uh, thanks for being here, Bobby. I really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Damian Mason. It's the Business of Agriculture. Thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.